Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Our next guest is a busy man this afternoon because Tom Brady is retired. It's National Signing Day. Our good pal from CBS Sports Network, Tom Lemming, is taking some time on the hotline brought to you by the Mower Shop in Fishers and themowershop.com. I'm Brendan King with Jimmy Cook and Eddie Garrison. Mr. Lemming, always appreciate the time. I know it's a busy day for you at National Signing Day, but first off, need to get your thoughts on the second retirement of Tom Brady and him hanging up the cleats? Well, he's going to go down, obviously, as the greatest quarterback of all time, perhaps the greatest football player of all time for uh, uh, for the NFL. And, you know, it's funny because I had a little story on him. I, was, I, was, I had lunch with John Gruden a few months ago, and we were talking about it. When John was head coach of the Raiders and Billy Callahan was his offense coordinator, they would let me use their facilities in Alameda to collect all the top players every year in Northern California. And uh, he reminded me that Tom Brady was one of the guys that came over. Tom had mentioned the last time he was in the Super Bowl that he was a, a, foot, a high school All-American. He was my All-American in the football part. I think I was the only one that had him there because he did throw for 3,000 yards. And he wasn't a big name coming out there. Matt Gutierrez that year, I think, was the big name out of Concord de La Salle. And I do think that a lot of schools passed up on him. And I think Michigan also took him as sort of – a reserve quarterback just to add depth behind Drew Henson and Gutierrez and, and a couple other quarterbacks. So shows you how hard work and just perseverance uh, will get the job done like it did for Tom. He became a great one with also a lot of luck. Because remember, Drew Henson left for the New York Yankees for about $10 million and foregoed his uh, senior year at Michigan as a quarterback. So luck and talent and perseverance, I think, will always win out. Tom, it's Jimmy. When you look back at Tom's career and when you are you know people 10-15 years from now are looking back on it people have made this argument in his second half of his career that you look at just the numbers from like a midpoint of his career and divide them in half and they're still higher than a, a number of different quarterbacks throughout the, the, the eons of the NFL which half is going to impress you the most is it undoubtedly the second half as he got older and continued to kind of redefine what a prime really is, or is it those early years in the first half of the run in New England when they won three? I think that's a good way to define it, to redefine what a prime really is, because he showed by staying in great shape and staying focused in his 40s, he still looked great. He didn't look too bad this year at 45. I don't think his surrounding cast was as good as it had been in New England or early on with the Tampa Bay Bucks. But uh, I just think that uh, his last several years proved that uh, you know he is the goat when it comes to football players and one that everybody's going to kind of put uh, keep as the standard when it comes to look and say who could be the best in the future. You got some great young quarterbacks now, but they've got a long way to go if they want to com- be compared at least at all with uh, with Tom Brady. So I would say the second half of his career was absolutely mind-boggling when you talk about a guy who was never that athletic coming out of high school his arm strength was okay but it wasn't great what people when I even when I saw him he couldn't run very well he didn't look the part he just had the height and he had the perseverance and and obviously the uh arm talent to become the greatest of all time 
Tom Lemming from CBS Sports is with us on the guest line brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com for all your snowblowers, commercial and residential mowers, plus service and power tools. Tom, you do a lot of work on the high school side with, of course, your Tom Lemming prep report that's put out a couple times a year. I think uh, Archie Manning is obviously the big quarterback name that's heading out this year, but on National Signing Day, any big names that come to mind for you that we could be seeing as early as this fall? I think um, uh, the Riola kid out of Arizona is my number one player. I just thought I'd seen him all in, in my top 100 for 2024, which would be for next season. I've actually seen all of them in person and in their own towns. And Dylan Riola, his dad, back in the late 80s, uh, USA Today would fly me out to Hawaii every year, which is a tough task. <laughs> And I would go watch the uh, Shawnakina Classic, which eight teams from the mainland would play eight uh, teams from Honolulu. And one of them, one of the players was Dominic Raiola, who I put on the USA Today team that year, the first Hawaiian player ever to be on it. And he wound up playing years in the NFL. And his son now is the number one player in the country for next year, Dylan, who's a 6'4", 225-pound quarterback out of Phoenix. And um, he had been committed to Ohio State for a long time. But, you know, now it's NIL. No one's ever committed because now, if you remember the player that was supposed to be going to Notre Dame, Peyton Bowen, yeah. he was committed to Notre Dame for almost a year. Then on signing day, he gave the big O that he was going to Oregon, but he didn't sign. So it looked like there might have been a lot of bidding going on. And the next day, he went to Oklahoma. <laughs> he didn't commit to Oregon on signing day, which normally you just sign, but it looked like there was a, a, a bidding war going on between Oregon and Oklahoma, and he chose Oklahoma. Tom, in terms of the national rankings, I mean, they're always going to be there across our state, but Notre Dame at the top of the state rankings, and then I think a top 10 nationally with this class. I know you mentioned the the decommitments that they've kind of went through with a handful of players over the last two months or so, but your overall takeaways from Notre Dame's class. I thought it was outstanding, and and the one thing that Notre Dame fans have going for them is um, Marcus Marcus was the captain of my 2005 U.S. Army uh, game, and he always impressed me as a mature guy. He was like 18 going on 30 back in 2005, and he's a phenomenal recruiter. It would have been, like you said, a great class had they kept Keelan Keeley, but Alabama came up with, you know, whatever they came up with to get his committee. He was the top defensive end in the country. I mentioned the safety, Bowen out of Dallas. They lost a couple of running backs, one to Oregon and one to Colorado. And so you, you figure what's going on with that. But Notre Dame uh, recruiting has never been better. What isn't uh, better is their handling of the NIL situation. So they got to get that under control. If they, if they want to compete, they are going to have to come up with a little bit more uh, organization and whatever committee they have that can run their NIL uh, a little bit better than what it has because they've lost players. And there's a player in Chicago this year for next year named Justin Scott, now, it's supposed to be committing or it's supposed to be leaning to Notre Dame. My idea is that he'll probably wind up at Alabama or Georgia or somebody that will come up with a little bit more. And even though he's at Catholic school in Chicago, those guys almost automatically go to Notre Dame. It's a different world now. And Notre Dame always is behind on almost everything. If you watch, they were behind on red shirting for years. They're behind on having a uh, uh, the food brought up to having, having their own commissary, really, like every other school has. They seem to be behind on transfers. They're behind on a lot of things, but they normally will catch up. They better catch up on NIL quickly uh, because I do think that they're in a spot where they could win a national title. They just got a great uh, uh, transfer in Sam Hartman, who was a quarterback I'd seen for a couple of years. 
during my uh, interview sessions in North Carolina. And at Wake Forest, he broke a ton of records. He's a ready-made quarterback, so for Notre Dame, he'll come in and he'll, I think he's going to blow the socks off of a lot of Notre Dame fans. He's that good. They've got great freshman wide receivers coming in. The defense, uh, the, the only if at Notre Dame, they don't have great defensive linemen, and I think that could be Earl Parsegian told me about a year before he died, he had him on the show, and he said, you always start with the defensive linemen, and Pete Carroll and Nick Saban told me the same thing. Notre Dame seems to always finish with their defensive <laughs> linemen, and that's why when you watch the USC game, I don't think a defensive lineman made a tackle. They made that quarterback. They allowed him to win the Heisman. The next week, Utah showed how to stop him, but Notre Dame did not have to have that uh, plan in place, at least, because they looked horrible against uh, USC, and I think defensive line-wise, I think they'll suffer once again this year. Tom Lemming, our guest on the hotline, brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com. Tom does some great work for CBS Sports. You can follow him on Twitter, at Lemming Report. Tom, looking forward to seeing you in South Bend when you come to visit this summer. We'll have to have you back at the ballpark. But I was just about to ask about Sam Hartman and what he did at Wake Forest. I, I know a lot of people have brought up the name Ian Book as Notre Dame tries to get back to more of a veteran presence at quarterback. Can Hartman be a better version of Book? Absolutely. I think he can. Ian Book never got better at Notre Dame. He was always good. He was good in high school. He threw for 4,000 yards. He committed to Mike Leach at Washington State. Notre Dame lost everyone they were going after, which seems to be the case quarterback-wise almost every year. <laughs> and so go after a, a committed quarterback. Almost all the quarterbacks they get have been committed elsewhere, and um, including the freshman coming in this year. So I think um, – you know, he was ready-made, but he never got better at Notre Dame. He was always good, but he never got to that Heisman caliber, or at least where you look at him as a Heisman candidate. Book always leveled off at Notre Dame. And uh, Hartman is already at that stage. He was at Wake Forest a lot of times. And remember, his name was mentioned in the Heisman early on in the year. So he's got that kind of talent. He's a prolific passer. He's a precision passer. He's got real good arm strength. He could run himself out of trouble, even though he's not a super runner. But he's got great all-around ability, and I think – He's a perfect fit for Notre Dame. He, he doesn't have to be coached. He could just come in and they can tell him, you know, he's got to learn the plays at Notre Dame, the offense and the schemes. But he's ready-made. And I think with the freshman wide receivers coming in, they've always had great tight ends. Harry Heastan does a great job along the offensive line. Their offense should be potent. And they got some pretty good running backs, too. The only question mark, as I mentioned, they got a good secondary and some great linebackers, two Butkus Award winners now on that team. But they don't have great defensive linemen, and they've always suffered that over the past uh, 30 years. Really since the Flanagan, Bryant Young, um, Oliver Gibson, and Brian Hamilton defensive line in 1993, uh, they haven't had a great consistent defensive line in almost 30 years. Tom Lemming, nice enough to take some time with us via the Mower Shop in Fisher's Hotline and MowerShop.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Lemming Report, college football recruiting analyst and co-host of the Lemming Report on CBS Sports Network. Tom, I know I'm making you dig deep here, but the Ryan Walters era has begun at Purdue. Uh, your overall thoughts? Again, it's it, there's going to be plenty of time for Walters to develop his class over the years, but uh, kind of quick scramble drill, getting everything together, trying to finalize and maintain commits from Jeff Brahms last year. Uh, where did everything stand for the Boilers as we uh, go through signing day today? I think, you know, he was a very good recruiter at Illinois, so I think he's going to be. But this year... You know, I got him around 60 to 65. You know, he didn't have a great time, a lot of time to get things going. He brought in some decent ball players, but started the Big Ten. He's he's going to be ranked near the bottom of the Big Ten recruiting rise, but he does have some pretty good ball players. That you know, like Indiana really hit the, the transfer portal hard, and I think Purdue 
not quite as hard, but had some success. Hudson Card, I think, is the key guy for this year because Purdue is known as the as a school that produces great quarterbacks over the years. I remember as a little kid watching Bob Greasy, and uh, I knew about Lenny Dawson before my time, guys like that. Hudson Card's got that kind of ability. When I saw him down in Texas as a high school player, I thought he was close to a five-star player. He regressed at Texas. And now it's up to Purdue, and well, hopefully Ryan's got a you know great offense coordinator to get things going with Hudson because he certainly has that kind of ability. And um, I, I would say he's going to supporting cast will be questionable, but I think uh, as a quarterback he's he's a big time ball player, and I think overall uh, you'll see Purdue do much better next year when they have a full year to recruit. Tom, last thing, the conversation around Indianapolis, of course, is who is the next quarterback of the Colts. And those, some are wishing for Bryce Young, some are wishing for C.J. Stroud, some are wishing for Will Levis, and some are looking elsewhere, too. So, But just those three guys, that seems to be the big three that has developed in the draft, and especially college football, Young, Stroud, and Levis. For you, how do you compare and contrast them? Is there one that stands out? I think Bryce Young, he doesn't stand out physically. I saw him as a freshman and sophomore at Cathedral High School in Los Angeles, and he was magic with the ball in his hands. But he was so small, and I was thinking, wow, this guy may never. Then he transferred over to the powerhouse modern day when their quarterback left as a high school junior to go start at USC. Shows you the power out there in L.A. But Bryce was magic with the ball in his hands with great supporting cast at uh, modern day, and he won a couple of national titles there. So he knew he had the ability, and Alabama sensed that. And he has obviously a great supporting cast at Alabama. They seem to have five-star players every position on offense. But he, he is a—he um, reminds me of the Eagles quarterback, it seems, uh, talent-wise. He's got that kind of ability. So I would say he could—he should go number one. Stroud, obviously talent. He, he threw for an unbelievable amount of yards in California as a high school player. But I don't think he's as consistent as Bryce Young. Um, Levis is, but... Again, I don't think he's as talented as the other two. So I would go Young, Stroud, and Levis as the top three quarterbacks, but in that order. He is the best. Tom Lemming from CBS Sports taking some time on National Signing Day with us here on The Fan. Tom, always appreciate it and hope to see you soon, my friend. Okay, yeah, Brendan, I'll see you when the Cubs play there in South Bend, the South Bend Cubs. I'll be at a couple of games. Let's do it, my man. Looking forward to it. See you, Tom. Take care. Tom Lemming with us on the hotline brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. When St. Jude opened in 1962, childhood cancer was considered incurable. Since then, St. Jude has helped push the overall survival rate from 20% to more than 80%. St. Jude won't stop until no child dies from cancer. Join me today in supporting St. Jude by calling 1-800-411-9898. That's 1-800-411-9898 to become a partner in hope. Your gift to St. Jude could last a lifetime. Joining us now by the Motor Shop and Fishers hotline, the Motor Shop and Fishers for all your residential commercial mowers, as well as snowblowers, power tools, 
service and so much more. They got you covered at the Motor Shop and Fishers at themotorshop.com. He is Colt's beat writer for the Indie Star, as well as the host of the Cover 2 podcast. It's Joel A. Erickson. Joel, nice enough to make some time for us. Joel, I understand that uh, some of your listeners uh, bashing you as being the, the voice of reason and, and reality towards uh, where, where, where the hires are at right now. Yeah, uh, well, just uh, the, the problem is anytime everyone wants to either have some big, heavy take on the candidates, and all, all I really have is, uh, all I really have is, like, no matter who they hire, it, it's going to be a wait-and-see thing. I, I, I think there's lots of reason to be excited about just about any candidate. And, I, you know, I've just been doing this long enough to know that, like, whenever, whenever people think they've got the candidate, it doesn't always end up being that way. And sometimes a guy that people aren't excited about ends up being a really good hire. Like Nick Sirianni is a good example. He kind of came out of left field for the Eagles a couple of years ago. And then he had that press conference that ever freaked everybody out. And it turned out that that was a really good hire by the Philadelphia Eagles. So yeah, it's, it's a wait and see no matter who they end up getting. Joel, with the hires being made over the last 24 hours, Sean Payton, I think was on the wish list of every Colts fan, but, to our knowledge, it never transpired with Peyton actually speaking with Indianapolis. So what, in your mind, was it that deterred the Colts away from not pursuing Peyton? Was it just a matter of fit, or was it a matter of that they'd actually have to give up an asset in order to bring him over here? Well, we know they asked, they at least asked the Saints about uh, the possibility of maybe talking to, to Peyton, and it never got beyond that. And I think there's two possibilities there. I think one of the possibilities is that the Saints wanted to get a. Oh, which is, there he is. We lost you for a considerably, second. Oh, okay, just considerably higher um, than than say what the Broncos gave up, and then I think the other possibility is that Sean Payton didn't necessarily like what he saw in Indianapolis. I mean, he talked to the other four teams. I, I don't. No one's reported that Payton hasn't said it anywhere. Um, but it, it has to be taken as a, as a possibility. See, I don't think that – I think Denver's going to be better next year because I think, like, by by just uh, the process of looking at coaches, clearly Sean Payton more proven than Nathaniel Hackett. So you expect some type of improvement. But the reason I had so much pushback with that, Joel, is that I, I mean, Denver has won championships more recently, and Russell Wilson, even how he looked last year, is – probably better than anything the Colts are going to show in year one at the quarterback spot. But I just, where do you, I mean, obviously we're going to focus on the Colts for most of this conversation, but is, since we're in that boat with Peyton, is Russell Wilson fixable in your mind? I I think if anybody should believe that they can fix Russell Wilson, Sean Payton should. Sure. Um, you know, Russell Wilson, a couple of years ago, remember when he made that list uh, of teams he was willing to go to? Yep. Uh, he put the he put the Saints on it, and it seemed really weird at the time. Everyone was kind of like, "Wait, what?" But it was it had something to do, it had to do with his respect for Peyton. And I think that I I used to cover the Saints before I covered the Colts, and I think Peyton's style is maybe what Russ needs. Peyton's style as a as a coach is um, like he's. He's not going to let Russell Wilson kind of tell him what to do. That's just not the way Peyton came up from through Bill Parcells. He wasn't even like that with Breeze, you know. And so I think that I think that if anyone, if I was a Broncos fan, I would I would say 
Now, I do have a friend who's a Broncos fan and texted me, should I be happy about this? And what I said was, <laughs> if Russ is fixable, I think Sean Payton can probably do it. Well, it's going to be interesting to watch for sure. Joel, the other hire, of course, in the AFC South, D'Amico Ryan's heading home to Houston, Texas. Jimmy and I were talking about the state of the division, and you know the Texans are getting a shiny new toy. The Titans are a bit of a mess, but they got a, at least a reliable head coach in Vrabel. The Jaguars are seemingly on their way to being elite. So how important for the Colts is getting this hire right when you look at the state of the rest of the coaches in the division because the Texans just hired seemingly one of the best, if not the best, defensive coordinator in the game. Yeah, they, you know, and a candidate for the Colts obviously wanted to talk to somebody that everybody really wanted to talk to. That that Shanahan coaching tree has, has turned out well the last couple of years. Um, it, with the division, I think I think the, the quarterback situation makes you wonder if this – the quarterback situation makes me wonder if it if it looks like the Jaguars should be in the driver's seat uh, until somebody else gets a quarterback, and I think that that's probably the equalizing factor. Usually when one team dominates a division, it's because their quarterback is much better than everybody else's. So I think, I think that maybe that's even more important, but the head coach is obviously very important to that because we assume the Colts are going to draft a quarterback, and I think it's pretty obvious that you can – you can make life a lot harder on a young quarterback than it has to be if you get the wrong head coach. I think the Jaguars are a great example of that with the difference we saw in Trevor Lawrence this year with Doug Peterson versus in his rookie year with Urban Meyer. So it's it's important oh. both from a – you want to have stability, you want to have everything at that position, but also just from you got to have a quarterback to compete to, to avoid letting Jacksonville kind of take over, I think. Joel, I asked this. I think of you. We've we obviously talked to a number of different folks on the Colts beat over the last month or so. So if it wasn't you, then I still want to get your thoughts on it anyway. But I asked a couple at the time with the Ryan's rumors with Houston, if that is at all a knock or a uh, – I mean, obviously the Colts are going to recover from it. They're still going to hire somebody. But if that is all just a, a real you know, uh, eyesore on the state of affairs with this coaching process for the Colts, if – a division foe scoops up a candidate they really wanted. Now that it's official, now that hires actually happened, does it feel that way? Does it feel like a missed opportunity by Indianapolis? Uh, I, I, if they wanted to talk to him and didn't get a chance to, it does feel like there's a, a missed opportunity there, at least to me. Um, you know, and obviously there's. I think with some of these decisions that these guys have made, there's obviously individual reasons you can point to for each decision. But when you talk about all of them in in total weight. Like, the Colts didn't talk to Sean Payton. There was never anything beyond just sort of the speculative linking of Jim Harbaugh and Jim and Jim Irsay with, with that. Uh, Dan Quinn never did his second interview here. He decided to go back to the Cowboys. And, you know, obviously he decided to go back to the Cowboys and pulled out of other searches as well, but he didn't talk to the Cardinals, you know. Um, and, and then you've got this Ryan situation. It, it does feel... Doesn't it feel like that's a lot of individual decisions that adds up to something? It's hard to put your finger on exactly what, but it's a, this is a lot of decisions that, that all feel somewhat connected to me. Joel Erickson, our guest on the hotline, brought to you by the Mower Shop in Fishers and themowershop.com. Joel, going off of what you just said, are, are the Colts that unattractive of a destination just based off of what has happened in the last couple of years? I... I think a lot of it has to do with 
um, kind of quarterback is a is a big part of it. Just Ryan's Ryan's, I think, with Houston that that fit for him as a place he played and kind of reported that. Uh, I think that one might be a little bit different, but like Dean Quinn talked to Arizona. Arizona has a has a ball with Denver. Russell Wilson played bad last year, but he's also got a long history as a quarterback. You know, I think that that the quarterback uncertainty with any job makes it a little bit less attractive uh, than than the other jobs that that are out there and available. Joel, you tweeted last night, as did a number of people, citing where the coaching openings sit right now. It, it's Arizona and Indianapolis now after those hires by Houston and by Denver. Uh, looking at some of the similar candidates between the Cardinals and the Colts as it stands, let's just say for the sake of argument that Brian Callahan piques Arizona's interest and they hire him. And let's say for the sake of argument, the Colts are waiting for the Super Bowl to play out so they can conduct second interviews over there in Philadelphia and Kansas City, but they still like Callahan. What are the chances they get kind of sideswiped yet again while waiting through this process and the Cardinals scoop Callahan? What what happens then for this franchise if Callahan's off the board in Arizona? Well, they've interviewed so many second round candidates that it's hard to know, you know, which one kind of has the lead there. Right. And so it all depends on if Callahan's their guy. And if the Callahan's their guy and it starts to move towards Arizona, I think whatever your plan was as far as talking to somebody else, getting an extra interview in, if you think Callahan's your guy, you got to move on it. You can't let it let somebody else get him. But if he's, if he's not for sure in your top spot, then if Arizona wants him, you're like, yeah, okay, that, that's telling us something and we can move on. Is the thought that where, – where's the prevailing thought right now from who you've talked to and what you've heard in terms of where they're at? Do they want to have that set in conversation with Steichen? I keep throwing the enemy's name out there, but I haven't seen him anywhere from any of the reports since that first interview. So maybe it is just Steichen, but is, is that what they're waiting on at this point is they want to have that set in conversation? They're, they're, they were going, the reports are that they're going to fly to Philadelphia at some point this week. I, I don't. I've never. I haven't seen a day reported at any point for what day they're going to talk to Shane Steichen. But they were going. To, they were going to fly to Philadelphia this week to talk to Shane Steichen at some point. Uh, and 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 that did seem like the end of it because Adam Schefter initially reported that the second round was going to be seven. That that would make it the number being seven, and they. They could talk to Eric Bieniemy now. I will say this: when Eric Bieniemy interviewed the first time, it was never reported until the Colts actually tweeted it out. Right. So there is there is an off chance here that there is a second round with Eric Bieniemy that we just don't know about. That's that's a possibility that we can't completely rule out just because of the way the first one went down. Joel, I know Chris Ballard was asked during his end-of-season press conference about timeline. And correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe I'm making this up. Did he say, like, middle of February might have been the ideal timeline for him for making a hire? He didn't say it was ideal. He said it it more in this way. He said it more, I don't care if it takes until mid-February. I'm going to find the right guy. Got it. Like, so I would say that, well, Colts fans, and I totally get this, 
uh, probably are seeing other teams hire and introduce their head coaches and doing stuff are going, hey, can we, can we get somebody here? I don't think Ballard feels the He wants to make sure he gets this right. Obviously, we all know what happened with the McDaniel situation the first time around. I think that informs a large portion of why the Colts' search is different than than everybody else's to this point. I guess Carolina's was kind of similar, just in a lot of candidates, but done already. Um, I, I think that I think that that's part of it. Is just he went into this going, I'm not going to have something like the McDaniel's thing happen to me again. I'm going to I'm going to really cast a wide net and figure out. And let let somebody blow me away. And I don't care how long that takes. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. When St. Jude opened in 1962, childhood cancer was considered incurable. Since then, St. Jude has helped push the overall survival rate from 20% to more than 80%. St. Jude won't stop until no child dies from cancer. Join me today in supporting St. Jude by calling 1-800-411-9898. That's 1-800-411-9898 to become a partner in hope. Your gift to St. Jude could last a lifetime. Joel A. Erickson, nice enough to join us via the Motor Shop and Fishers hotline and themotorshop.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Joel A. Erickson, Colts Insider for the Star. Joel, I'm going to continue to loom him out there like a like a specter or like the boogeyman until it's officially announced that that somebody else is going to take the top job but yeah i know you keep getting these questions and they're going to continue to ring out until that top job is announced where's jeff saturday fit into all this where's he at for this process as we wind down the, the second interviews that the colts had planned well one of the things one of the things i think that's that's interesting is that this has been Kind of one of the kind of the quietest search. I mean, I know there's a lot of candidates coming in, but there's not a lot of real hard reporting. There's been a lot of speculation. Like you've seen national reporters say, like what they think Ursay might do. Um, I, I've seen a couple reporters uh, nationally in the last couple of days say they don't think Saturday is going to be the head coach. But I don't necessarily know that we're getting a lot of like with Denver. It felt like. There was a report out every day about which way the Broncos were leaning. We're not getting that as much with Indianapolis. And and Saturday's candidacy has kind of always felt the same. It's just it's it's does it it feels like is it it comes down to is Jim Mercy willing to override everybody else and and go with Jeff Saturday? I don't I don't know. We kind of know who the guys are that that Ursay has talked to in the past. Those guys haven't really come out with something. I don't know that we know exactly where he sits on that. Um, I I didn't, and if if you have a better read on this than I do, I didn't know what to make of him tweeting a laughing emoji at Joey Molinaro's very fantastic uh, video uh, yesterday. I don't know. I have no idea how to read that. You can read that any way you want. Just up to you guys. Like, so take it however you want. 
Oh, I, I, I just try to stay in the lane of trying to in, try to analyze the the comments to the media on the golf cart and then try to try to read those. I, I can't get into the brain on Twitter. That's not it's not possible. So if you didn't have the read, I don't either. One follow up, Joel. And I'm not I'm not trying to fully disrespect the Colts here, but I guess I am. Is part of that reason because it's the Broncos and they were picked to really make noise in the West this past year, maybe even dethrone Kansas City. They made all these big moves, and they have uh, a ridiculously multi-million on multi-million dollar quarterback there. Like, Is it because of that job there's been so much more rumors and reporting, or is it because of maybe the Colts are really keeping their cards close to the chest right now? I, it's, I think it's the, the Colts are keeping their cards close to the best. Any the way the news cycle works is that any any news on a head coaching move in the NFL is big news. But that's why you see that's why you see guys reporting on like this might could happen like two weeks into a season that's going to be 17 games long. Right. So I, I think I think it's it, it really comes down to the Colts are trying very hard. I think to keep this a tight search and keep their thoughts internal. That's that's my read on it. Well, I guess we'll have to find out what happens when it comes to a Saturday perspective. Uh, Joe, I, I just don't know how they sell that to the fan base. I, I guess at the end of the day, so Ballard's leading it, but at the end of the day, it's Ursay's decision, no? That's that's what Chris Ballard said. I, I'm with you. I, I would say that, like, so you always think about with social media and replies on there that you have to take them with a grain of salt because it's social media, obviously the most local people on there are going to be one way or the other. But I would say, and I'm sure this probably feels the same way for you guys, like the number one question I keep getting from when I'm just going about my normal life uh, at, you know, like league basketball, uh, you know, Fishers League, ba- City League basketball and all kinds of stuff like that is they're, they're not really going to hire Jeff Saturday, are they? Like that almost to that word is what, I, what people keep asking me. And and when I think about, like, the fan base's reaction being like that, I don't feel like I'm the only person who knows that. I don't feel like I, I'm the only person who's getting that. I think everybody is. I think the Colts probably are aware of that. And so it would be a very, very tough sell. I, I was trying to think of any other head coaching hire in however long that – where it felt like if if you made the hire, your fan base wouldn't even be like, okay, well, let's wait and see how this plays out. They'd actively be against it. I, like that, this is like that would be such a hard sell. Um, I, I don't think there's really any way around that. I, I don't. I just based on like everything I've heard from not not from media people, just from people I know in the community, friends, people I know who have season tickets. Like like I said, the question I keep getting is, they're not really going to hire Jeff Saturday, are they? And and so I I think your your read on it is right. Like the reaction would not be good. Joel, I have two more questions for you. First is a, a piggyback off of Brendan's because this has been my mindset on his question of you can't sell it to the fan base. I agree, you can't sell it to the fan base. How much does that matter to Jim Irsay? Not the long term health of the franchise, but the idea of you know being one of the most powerful men on the planet and being one of thirty two owners in the NFL. How much does that matter to him if he sees it in his mind, I know best, I think this can work, and who knows, maybe they 
fall backwards into the right quarterback, and then it, it doesn't really matter who the head coach is. They, they power through it, and it turns out fine, and the fans still come because we still can't help ourselves watching Houston and Arizona on a Thursday night. Like, we got to have it. That, that happens in these markets. How much of that would be viewed in the rear view because Ursay sees a longer plan here? I, I think so. Okay. You can't, you can't let the fans necessarily dictate every decision you make as a franchise. Right. That, that wouldn't work. That's obvious. Flip side of that, though, I do think Jim Ursay cares what the fans think of his team. I think, I think you see it in the way he tweets. I think you see it in the way he uh, handles himself publicly in terms of when he speaks. Like he often, he often does his public appearances when there's a lot of fans, like at Grand Park, or when they just had a big win over something, he does. I do think he tries to have a pulse on the fan base. So I do think it's at least a factor in the decision. Now, again, like, like I said, like again, you're not going to make every decision based on exactly what the fans want. But uh, I, I do think it's going to. I do think he has to know, and it probably ends up playing a role. Last question on my front, Joel, for you. Your take on it, I understand. We joked about it at the top that, that some of your listeners cover two podcasts. You know, VU is kind of an umbrella to kind of suck the fun out of situations at times. <laughs> but but for their words, not mine, by the way. Uh, when you look at this list in your mind, taking the journalist hat off, pu- putting the just the the uh, GM hat on or the owner hat on, who of the remaining names would you like to see, or do you think is the best fit right now? I I'm really interested in I'm interested in Steichen. Uh, the the offense that he put together in Philadelphia, I I like the uh, the coaching tree he comes from. Colts fans might disagree with me because it's Frank Reich's coaching tree, but I I like that coaching tree. Uh, Frank Reich, Nick Sirianni. Um, I, I'm really interested in Brian Callahan. Just some of the stuff that about his background and his career and who he's worked with as quarterbacks. And then the other one that I think I'm I'm really interested in is Raheem Morris. Just as a guy who did it when he was really young, really, really young, probably way too young to be a, a head coach, although his, his quarterback was Josh Friedman, so I don't know how much of a chance he had. Um, but I, I'm just interested in a guy who's got the background of being on both sides of the ball and offer, you know, insight, X's and O's wise, on both sides of the ball. Like, not just – not just he wouldn't just be – in my mind, like, you know, like when people talk about being a CEO head coach and you're delegating the X's and O's stuff to, to the, the coordinators, like, I think in today's NFL, you need somebody who can influence what the coordinators are doing and test them and test what they're working on. Morris can do that from both sides based on his history. And he's just like, he's almost had an entire football coaching life after being a head coach. So those, those three guys are the ones that interest me the most. Uh, when I'm when I'm not trying to uh, when I'm not thinking about the reality of the situation that that literally any coaching hire can go bad. There's there's none that happen and you're like this is absolutely going to work. There's no reason to, to not worry about it. It continues to be fascinating on a daily grind. I, I know that it, it's not pulse for you, even if in the what was it you said the Fishers what league? 
Where, where you're still getting questions yeah, in, on the beat? I'm in. Uh, I play. Uh, I play on my church team in the Fisher City Basketball League in Best Choice. Uh, well, if the Colts beat, I'm is, not good. I'm not good. You got to call. I'm you got to call Rakestraw. Get the ISC Sports Network to do some of those games, Joel. No, no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. If that if that happens, that's the that's the uh, night that I have that I text everybody. And be like, ah, oh, the baby's uh, baby's feeling a little rough. I'm gonna have to stay home. We'll interpret that uh, as load I'm, management, Joel. I'm I'm uh, I'm there I'm there to, to give the to give the good players minutes. That's what I'm there for. <laughs> I'm there. Well, if it's following you all the way to the Fisher City League, then it really is the grind of the NFL, and we appreciate all your work on it. And uh, yeah, hopefully there's an answer and light at the end of the tunnel soon, Joel. Sounds good. Thanks for having me on, guys. No Thanks, problem. That is that is Joel A. Erickson. Via the Motor Shop and Fishers hotline and themotorshop.com for all your residential and commercial mowers, as well as snowblowers, power tools, service equipment, and so much more. They have you covered at the Motor Shop and Fishers at themowershop.com. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Hey fam, I'm asking for your support. Help us raise money for St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital. Families never receive a bill from St. Jude for treatment, travel, housing, or food so they can focus on helping their child live. By pledging just $19 a month, you're helping St. Jude give every child with cancer a chance. Help St. Jude save lives. Call 1-800-411-9898. That's 1-800-411-9898 and become a partner in Hope today. First, though, from the Pacers Radio Network, our good pal, it's Pat Boylan, taking some time on the drive. Hubler, I was about to say hotline, on the uh, hotline brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com. I know it, Jimmy, I promise. Uh, Pat, got your back. Yeah, I got you. Pat, good to be with you, my man, and it looks to be a pretty packed weekend at Gamebridge Fieldhouse, trio of some really good ball games. Likewise, appreciate you guys having me as always. And yeah, after a rare three-day stretch here in the schedule without games, the Pacers return home for three of their next uh, three games at home in their next four days, Thursday, Friday, and Sunday, and three pretty interesting opponents in the building. You've got the Lakers here tomorrow. LeBron's not going to break the record here, but he's getting really close to the all-time points record. Um, and then you've got Sacramento coming on Friday, which, uh, of course, is Tyrese Halliburton and Buddy Heald's former team and uh, will likely be the return of DeMontis Sabonis. He was not healthy uh, the last time these two teams played at the end of last year here in Indianapolis. And then uh, Sunday, the Cleveland Cavaliers are here. So three pretty interesting opponents on tap. Pat, I'm just asking you this just because I'm putting you on the spot. I don't expect you to know it. If you do, I'm going to be even more impressed than I generally am when we have conversations. But uh, do you know the record for most points in that building? Oh, I don't know that. Um, I just did a quick Google search. I can't find it, so I don't know. That's why I was asking. Mo Williams had a 52 um, once. And did Jermaine O'Neal have a 55, and was that here? If you had, if I had to guess, I would say Jermaine O'Neal 55, but I don't know that answer off the top of my head. The only reason I asked is because, to your point, I mean, it, it, it is LeBron, so, you know, you never know, but that would be one of the 
if, if it was broken, which is not going to be, it'd be the one of the greatest single game performances in NBA history. Like we, we understand that's not going to happen even for a player like LeBron. But when you look at uh, these last three days, a, a lot of big news. We're going to get to Miles in a second, but just in general, uh, what has been the overall vibe around the team in this rare, like you mentioned, multiple days off uh, after that uh, contest against Memphis over the weekend? Well, you know, I'm actually talking to you guys right now just outside of practice, which just concluded. And I'll tell you, it's been a, a pretty upbeat environment here. And I think despite the fact that, you know, the last few weeks have gone the way they have, I think just Tyree Talliburton's emergence and return back into uh, the lineup has kind of brought a new energy around this team. So I think the three days off came at a really good time here. I think Tyree Talliburton's return obviously is much needed. And I think that probably has lifted a lot of spirits. It's been a tough past few weeks, but this team, obviously when Halliburton has been available um, has been excellent. And so the hope for Tyrese, he said his goal uh, is to play Thursday. As we talked about, there is that back-to-back Thursday, Friday. So it's not totally clear how the Pacers um, would handle that or if they even have any plans to handle that any differently. Um, But there obviously is hope that Halliburton will play here tomorrow. And uh, the Pacers before he got hurt were in sixth place in the conference. They were 23 and 18 and were really rolling. So I think it'll be interesting to see um, if they can get back to that level of play that they had just before. And if they can, how long it'll take them to get there. Pat, I saw your tweet earlier, and I think Tyree said he was hopeful for Thursday, which is obviously great news. But you mentioned how far things have fallen since he got hurt. I know this may be a tough question. Is there one thing specifically he brings most on the floor in a game sense that they've missed most over the last couple weeks? Well, I think one of the dynamics, and look, what he provides is obvious, right? He's over 20 points per game score. He's an extremely efficient scorer. He's uh, maybe the best passer in the NBA at age 22. And so obviously that's impactful in of itself. But I think everything just kind of falls into place. Everybody kind of falls into their roles perfectly when he's out there. And I think one of the biggest challenges without him is, you know, you look at a guy like Buddy Heald, all of a sudden he's seeing other teams' best defender. All of a sudden he's starting to see some double teams when Tyree Halliburton isn't there. So I think it's just how everything falls back into place with Halliburton out there. And look, there a lot of guys, including Miles Turner, who signed you know the extension just a couple of days ago, are having career years. And I think those guys deserve credit for the steps forward that they've taken in their own career. But I think Tyrese has a lot to do with that as well. When you've got somebody with the vision that he has, um, he's able to get you the ball in spots and in places uh, that very few, if any, other players in the NBA can. And look, I think T.J. McConnell and, and Andrew Nemhard are two terrific other options to have at point guard Uh, you know McConnell had a really strong stretch there um, without Halliburton on the floor but when it all comes down to it you know Halliburton has been the guy in fact if you look at some advanced analytics for the one that 538 uses um, at one point they had him as the seventh best player in the NBA pretty late into the season right around the midway point of the year I think he was ninth the last time I checked so he's been you know just about as impactful as any player in the NBA and especially to a Pacers team that is young and still building um, you really see the difference when he's not there versus a, a team like Milwaukee who has been building for a long time and has you know a lot of veterans on that team so when they lose Giannis it's obviously a big loss Uh, But at the same point, they have a a deeper roster behind them. So I really think it's just how everybody falls back into the roles that they're able to do the best. That is the most significant dynamic of Halliburton's return to the lineup. 
Pat, from your eyes, you having covered this team for so long and knowing all the hype that was there when Halliburton was healthy to see this kind of fall, obviously one and nine in their last 10. It, does it feel like, obviously Halliburton is missing, right? I get that. But, but does it feel like that there is anything that could improve this team or help this team even further when he gets back in the lineup if they do want to be a playoff team or, or do want to be a play-in team? Or is it as simple as getting him back, getting his sea legs back underneath him, and maybe they don't need to add anything at the deadline? Well, I think as it relates to the trade deadline, I think, and Kevin Pritchard spoke on this just a couple days ago at Turner's extension. First of all, if, if he can make a trade, he prefers to do it in the summer. He likes to not break up the continuity, and the continuity and the chemistry here is really good. And so the Pacers will have, you know, their ear to the ground, and they'll be doing all of their due diligence as it relates to the trade deadline. Uh, but I don't think they're in a situation where they probably were last year where they felt like, if they could make a move, that that would be beneficial uh, to the team. What kind of team the Pacers will be as Halliburton comes back, I think is interesting. I think the hope is that you get right back on track to where you were, but it has been a few weeks, and you know it could possibly take a little bit of time to gel at that level. And one of the biggest keys to the Pacers' success this year has been their play late in games. They've been excellent in what the NBA considers clutch games. Those are games within five points within the last five minutes. And it's been the biggest improvement from last year to this year. The Pacers were the worst team in the NBA in those clutch games last year. And they've been very good. And if you look at a lot of their numbers this year, they're not drastically different from last year's team in terms of offensive rating and defensive rating. But where they are drastically different is how they're closing out games. So from a Pacers keys to success standpoint, I think the way they close in those clutch type of games are vitally important here as Halliburton comes back because they're playing in so many of them. The Pacers aren't blowing many teams out, and with Halliburton on the floor, they're not getting blown out very often. So very often they're finding themselves in a scenario where in the last five minutes the game is on the line. Pat Boylan's with us on the guest line brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com. Pat, getting into the Miles extension and what we heard from him at the table after signing the dotted line, the first thing that came to my mind was just a sense of being genuine and that truly this is a guy that has grown up in this city and he's appreciative of the Pacers continuing their belief in him. What would you take most from what you heard from Miles that day? Yeah, I think that was my takeaway as well. You know, Miles has had um, his whole basically adult life has been spent here. He came here when he was 19, um, was a first-round draft pick, didn't really know anything um, about the city. And I think one thing that impressed me then that continues to impress me is how he has embraced Indianapolis. When he was here, uh, in his first couple of weeks, he started his warm initiative Um, which was uh, at least started to help the homeless in Indianapolis. And so I think I think that's what I took away the most is just how he's embraced the city. And I think how the city's embraced him back. Look, he's had moments where right away as a rookie, I think he really shined and, um, you know, kind of caught some spotlight. He'll be the first to tell you that times at times were challenging uh, when he wasn't playing the center position, when he was with Domas, those guys had a good relationship, but, he was kind of put in, a, in an unnatural spot because of circumstances. And so getting back into this role, I think if you look at what, the other thing that stands out the most to me is if you look at his last 365 days and just the 180 that's happened for him um, personally and professionally, you know, a year ago today, he Domas was still here. So he wasn't playing the starting five. 
Miles got hurt right around this time last year and missed the rest of the season. So there was an injury at play. He wasn't the starting five. Um, and the Pacers as a team, you know, were struggling a bit. So to have this 180 happen where he's come in, he's been the starting five, he's having probably his best year as a pro. The Pacers have had this start, the pre-Halliburton version of this start, where they've been uh, a lot better than I think most people anticipated. And it really just has been a remarkable difference now versus this time last year. And I think, you know, he's realized that I give him credit for kind of pivoting and understanding that. And I give the franchise credit too. This is a deal that I think works out so well for both because that 17 million, the Pacers had to spend to get to the cap floor. Anyway, it was money that was going to have to be used in some fashion. And so they're able to use it on miles. They're able to reward him with, more money this year. And then what that also allows them to do is to save money in the next two years. Um, And his cap hit is really no worse than it is right now, which a player of his caliber is, is very team friendly. So I I look at the way that this got done and, you know, it's a, it's a terrific deal for miles, but I also think uh, the creativity that both parties used allowed it to leverage uh, the, the contract situation in a way that helps the Pacers in the future and helps miles right now. Pat Boyle, nice enough to take some time with us via the Motor Shop and Fisher's hotline and themotorshop.com for all your residential commercial mowers as well as snowblowers, power tools, equipment, services, and so much more. They'll be covered at the Motor Shop and Fisher's and themotorshop.com. Pat, of course, a part of the Pacers radio network as a host and sideline reporter, as well as the play-by-play voice of your Indiana fever. You can follow him on Twitter at Pat Boyle and Pacers. Pat, the stuff that you and, and others around the organization have continued to talk about, about the culture and the chemistry in the locker room. It, it's a real thing. I mean, we, we've even, even fans that aren't in the locker room, people that have never played, you can feel it around this team, the way they talk about each other. Uh, through the last couple media availabilities, or maybe your availabilities with players, though, in terms of the relationship Miles has, I'm sure he has a relationship and a good relationship with everybody on that roster, but anybody in particular really, really happy for him, maybe more so than, than everybody else, or anybody like Give me any good nuggets over the last couple of days, how happy they were to, to have him still a part of this young core? You know, I'm not sure if one player necessarily stands out, but I think if you're in somebody's shoes like Tyrese's, right, and you're 22 years old and you've started to build something here that you can imagine turning into something even better in the coming years, well, if you would have lost a guy like Miles in that process, it could have, you know, really stunted the growth, I think, of where this franchise has gotten to so quickly. And so I, I think of a guy like him who is obviously a pillar, the pillar that the Pacers are building around and think, you know, he obviously was thrilled and relieved to know that his center, the top rim protector in the NBA, um, was going to be back long term. So I think that's really beneficial. And then I think Jalen Smith, Isaiah Jackson, the two young bigs, it's funny because I remember when Turner got here and was young in his career and there were players like Jan Mahimi and Al Jefferson who – Uh, Turner really looked up to, and and those guys were mentors. Well, Miles is only 26, but he's kind of in that mentor role now because this team is so young. And so both Jalen and Isaiah have talked about learning from Miles and trying to, you know, uh, take in some of his philosophies, just the way he handles uh, defense. And I think it's been personally for those two guys great to have somebody like Miles um, around the locker room and, and in a similar position as they play. So, uh, from an individual standpoint, those two guys jump out. But um, you said it. This is a this is a close knit group, um, closer than uh, perhaps any that I've been a part of here. And I, I think the chemistry is really good. So to 
have a move that happens to solidify that chemistry, I think is significant. And I think everybody uh, on the roster benefits from it. First of all, always love a Jan Mahimi reference. Those do not come up every day anymore. Uh, he so, was one of my favorites. Oh, so any go. chance I can get, Jan Mahinmi's, <laughs> Jan Mahinmi's name will get dropped here on this <laughs> phone line. <laughs> uh, Pat, the terms of the deal for Miles, I think, are pretty intriguing. Two years and $60 million, and there's that $17 million incentive for this year. I'm not asking about the financials, but what I'm, I am asking is, what does the state of the extension, be it two years, it'll take Miles to being 28, so he'll be a free agent again before he's 30. What does the terms of the extension tell you about where the Pacers are in their rebuild process? Well, I think the first thing it says to me is if Miles didn't have a belief in what this group could do, he would not have signed that extension. I mean, hitting free agency as a 26-year-old, especially in the year he's having, had to be an enticing option. So for him to sign the extension as he did, I think tells you his belief in where this franchise can go in the next couple of years. And also, I think how impactful Halliburton and having a guy like Tyrese Halliburton is on Turner. So I think, first of all, that's the first thing that jumps out to me. And then the financial side, you know, you can always get deep into the weeds on stuff like this. But as far as $17 million can be considered – um, insignificant, and of course, I don't mean that 17 million is insignificant, but the, this is money that the Pacers had to spend either way. So that 17 million that he gets right away is a huge boost, of course, to Miles, but it doesn't impact the Pacers from a cap standpoint really at all. It was money that had to be spent in some regard because the NBA has a cap floor, a minimum amount you have to spend. And so because they could give him that $17 million right now, as we were discussing earlier, they can keep his number pretty close to what it's been. I think it was 18 this year, and so it's going to be, I think, uh, reportedly in around 20 uh, the next couple of years. And if that is the case, then the cap hit is about the same, meaning the Pacers continue to have just an abundance of flexibility. And so those are the two things of the deal that really stuck out to me. Anybody wants to hit free agency and sees the advantages of doing that as a 26-year-old coming off a great year. So for him to say um, that, you know, I, I believe in this group enough to not even want to test those waters, I think speaks volumes. And I think it also, from the front office's standpoint, from the Pacers' perspective, to be able um, to put together a package for him that is, enticing enough to make him say yeah i'll sign this right now and not test the waters i think that's also significant too so uh, all of this comes at a very interesting time in miles career he's only ever been here before and he's never been in free agency and i think it speaks volumes that he signed the deal that he did pat any because I, I i don't remember if pritchard said this or not a lot of those quotes are, are kind of blurring to me a little bit and obviously it was it was great they were able to, to do that like you see so often teams do nowadays whether it's a, a free agent signing whether it's a big extension you want to have a press conference and celebrate the player rightfully so uh, was there any explanation for why there were those reports two or three weeks ago for maybe the sides not being in the right place on the number or was it just a matter of, I know that he kind of changed ownership or uh, representation as well. Um, was there any clarification on, on why it, I don't want to say took so long, but, but why it stumbled a little bit out of the gate the last couple of weeks? You know, details like that are really over my head sure, you know, as it sure. relates to, as it relates to transactions and trades, you know, to be honest with you, I'm no different than any other fan. I've got woes notifications and Sean's <laughs> notifications on, and they buzz my phone at the same time they buzz sure, all of your phone. Sure. So 
that's something that, you know, is, is uh, far over my head, and I can't really speak on it either way. Other than, you know, I think a, a negotiation always is a negotiation. You don't – you rarely hit where you end up right away, right? Each side right. gives a little, and you come uh, to a common ground. And, um, you know, I, I give both sides credit for being able to do that. And being able to do that, you know, not going right up to that deadline either. You mentioned earlier that the stunt of the growth of a player like Tyrese Halliburton that could happen if you're not able to get a deal done for a player like Turner, a player that's still very much in in the prime in the middle of his NBA career. You know this as well as anybody, Pat. There's a lot of scar tissue on Pacers fans the last five, ten years or so of players that are kind of built here or or modified here where they get their real opportunity and then they wind up leaving how not only with Nemhard like you already met or uh, with uh, Halliburton like you already mentioned how much can that change maybe just the the spirits or the pulse the franchise as a whole knowing that hey this is a young talent that we drafted that we've grown that we've developed we are able to compete and, and retain our own yeah, I think that's probably accurate. You know, that this is somebody that the Pacers identified when he was one year into Texas. He was a, a one-and-done like many players are these days and um, identified him as a talent, as a teenager. They've helped develop and grow uh, that skill set here in Indiana. And so to see him not leave in free agency uh, this year, I think obviously um, it, it says a lot for numerous people involved, the front office, the coaching staff, the city, the fans, um, to be a place that he wants to be. And look, he's, uh, Miles is from just outside of Dallas. He you know, grew up in Texas. And so for him to feel like Indianapolis is kind of a second home to him and one that he wanted to sign another extension. Remember, he would have signed the first one back uh, when he would have been 23 or so. You know, he's, he's chosen this a couple of times. So I think if you're a Pacers fan and obviously you feel maybe a little snake bitten on moves in the past with previous players, this is one where I think you should note some of the loyalty here and the fact that he feels like Indianapolis is a second home to him, I, I do think is significant. Pat Boylan joining us on the guest line brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com. Pat, uh, furthermore on the weekend ahead, specifically on Thursday, you've had a chance to see plenty of Gamebridge Fieldhouse environments with LeBron James coming into town, and I realize those were happening more often when he was in the East. They don't happen as often anymore that he's in the West. But just thinking back to previous games when LeBron has been in the field house, what were those environments like and what comes to mind? Yeah, you know, I, I immediately think back, actually, when I think of LeBron James, I think back to matchups when he was with the Miami Heat, and that was before I even worked here. You know, those, those duels that – uh, the Paul George David West teams had with him and as a fan in that building. I mean, the Pacers and, and LeBron James have just been so intertwined with their history, with that run he had uh, in Miami. And then, of course, back with Cleveland. Uh, I think back to that 2017-2018 team, which when you're asking about chemistry and vibes and, and that type of thing, this group reminds me a lot of that locker room. Now, unfortunately, uh, things changed fairly quickly for that 17-18 group in terms of uh, the future. Victor Oladipo got hurt. We had the COVID pandemic, and life changed pretty quickly for that group. But that 2017-2018 team similarly uh, was projected to win, I think, somewhere in the 20s in terms of games. Vastly outgrew that prediction. And that team ended up winning 48 games and taking James to seven. And in the fourth quarter, 
uh, the Pacers were right there in Cleveland. And obviously, unfortunately, couldn't get over the hump. But um, if, if LeBron James has one team that has probably given him regularly the most significant playoff battles, and look, I understand uh, the Pacers never got over that hump. But tons of teams never got over that hump. And if you look at his, I don't remember the stat, but I went back and and researched it a few years ago. And at one point, the Pacers had like a a record that was close to 500 against him in the playoffs and, and maybe had 12 or 13 wins. And the rest of the East had like a handful of wins combined. So there are just so many battles that uh, this guy has had in this building. And regardless of the jersey that he puts on, you know, it's always a spectacle to see him here. It's always a spectacle to see him play. And to see what he's doing at 38 is is simply remarkable. He's going to probably uh, break the record either later this week or early into next week. It's, as we talked about earlier, probably not going to happen here. It would take a superhuman effort. And even as somebody that is superhuman like him, I don't think he's going to break it here. But uh, a lot of history between him and uh, the different teams that he's been on with this franchise. And you know, one, one great thing about the NBA is this is true in any sport, but I think it's more true um, about the NBA than any of the other major professional sports. When a superstar like LeBron James is in the building or a Steph Curry is in the building, there's just a different aura that exists. And I think it's one thing that makes attending a game in person uh, so exciting. There are still, I think, a few tickets available, but like this game is undoubtedly a sellout and that always makes the environment great as well so it it really should be a good weekend kind of to come full circle on where we started uh lebron james here on thursday the the sacramento and the return of demontis Sabonis on friday and then cleveland's a fascinating team donovan mitchell and evan mobley and uh that young group that they've assembled together has been one of the upstart teams in the nba so in terms of most interesting weeks here for the pacers and certainly in the building this one might be it Pat, last thing on my end, I know that Brendan kind of asked you regarding Rick Carlisle's comments that Tyrese Halliburton was going to be available to play tomorrow against the Lakers, and you talk about the weekend as a whole over the next couple of sets for the Pacers. Is it expected he's going to be eased back in? You know, that will that will be interesting to see. I, I, I don't think anybody has gotten that far along okay. with him, and I think they want to keep the option open probably. Look, I mean, the, his goal is to play Thursday. I think he really wants to play Thursday. I think that's a hopeful uh, expectation. In terms of minutes restrictions or in terms of back-to-backs, I think that's still up in the air. I will say this. Um, of every player that I've seen in my nine years doing this, I can't remember anybody that wants to come back from injury as ferociously as this guy does. I mean, he has to be told by the trainers, you're not playing or else he probably would have tried to be back on the court a couple of weeks ago. And I'm not saying he's the only guy that's like that. Of course, that's not true. There are plenty of guys that have uh, that type of mindset. I think of when he had an injury in Houston earlier this year, and I remember thinking, oh, well, there's no way he'll play on the back-to-back tomorrow. And sure enough, he was out there. And so this is somebody that I think attacks his injury just like he attacks how he plays on the floor, very aggressively uh, with a lot of passion. So I know he wants to be back as soon as possible. And if you really you think back to New York, I know it's felt like a long time that he's been gone as the team has you know struggled a little bit here without him. But if you think back to New York, it really, it's really not that long ago when he suffered um, what – could have been a a fairly serious injury. So in the big picture, to see him back this quickly, I think is a really good sign. 
Pat Boylan with us on the guest line, brought to you by the Mower Shop in Fishers and themowershop.com. Pat, glad you got some rest, too, and what's going to be a busy weekend for you guys. Hope you have a lot of fun, man. Appreciate the time, as always, and look forward to seeing a packed building here and those fans out and around driving around. We'd love to see you at the fieldhousepacers.com slash tickets is how you can get your seat. You got it, brother. Thanks for the time. Thanks, Pat. Thank you. Pat Poylan with us here on the Fan Midday Show. We now do it. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Hey fam, I'm asking for your support. Help us raise money for St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital. Families never receive a bill from St. Jude for treatment, travel, housing, or food so they can focus on helping their child live. By pledging just $19 a month, you're helping St. Jude give every child with cancer a chance. Help St. Jude save lives. Call 1-800-411-9898. That's 1-800-411-9898 and become a partner in Hope today. Indeed, have Andrew Nemhard nice enough to take some time with us via the Motor Shop and Fishers hotline and the motorshop.com. Andrew, how are you today? I'm good. I appreciate you guys having me on. No problem. Thanks for making the time with us. Andrew, just off the bat, being a part of the Rising Stars Challenge, that, that's a very exciting for a rookie to be a part of, a nice milestone on that just goal of a season. Uh, your initial reaction when you found out that you were going to be a part of All-Star Weekend in Salt Lake City? Man, I'm super excited, super excited just being a second-round pick, you know, coming into the season. We didn't really have too much uh, expectations on what the season was going to look like and how much playing time I would get and what my role would be. So just super excited that the Pacers gave me this opportunity to kind of just get better throughout the year and show what I could do. Andrew, the way that you've played all season since you were drafted by the Pacers 31st overall, and you mentioned you didn't know exactly what would happen to this point. And of course, some magical things have happened for you and this team already. Some fantastic moments from your shot, um, the buzzer beater to win it. But with all of that being said, was did you ever feel any pressure? Is that a big reason of why you've been able to perform well? Just because you've been able to kind of take a deep breath and just do what you do with no pressure? Yeah, definitely. I think that was something coming into the season. Like, it was all positive for me as a second round pick. Whatever I do is, is looked at as a positive. So I definitely felt like I had nothing to really lose and just had to go out and play hard and 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 just compete and, and do whatever the team needed to do to win. So um, definitely had felt like I had not not much pressure on me coming into the season. Andrew, I know it's just your rookie season, so you can't really speak on how different NBA locker rooms can be, but all the reports and everything that we hear from you guys and your teammates is just what a, what a brotherhood it is, what, what a, just a great collection of just chemistry and just uh, really good vibes all around within that locker room. How imperative has that been to your in- development here? Maybe not necessarily ahead of schedule, but just help you speed line that process as a rookie. Yeah, like you said, I can't really talk about other places or like other experiences, but I think it's been huge for me. I, like we have a lot of good vets who are just just put 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 others before themselves who just help me kind of ease my way and make me feel comfortable, um, give me pointers, just uh, get on me when I'm kind of playing bad or whatever. So they made it they made it really easy on me. I think the coaching staff has also made it really easy on me. Just 
slowly working myself into the into the team and slowly growing my role and 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 sh- them showing in me how much confidence they got. Andrew, you mentioned the coaching staff and the impact they've had on you. You had a chance to play for one of the best all-time in college and Mark Few, obviously, at Gonzaga, but now getting to play for Rick Carlisle. As a rookie, what were your expectations for having Rick as a coach, and how have they transpired now about halfway through? Yeah, I honestly didn't have too many expectations. Didn't really be, um, obviously, I knew the name Rick Carlisle, but didn't really know too much about him, um, but after working with him, just just I think like we're we're similar to to the point where we just uh, like guys that like to get stuff done, kind of no bullshit guys, and um, I I love working with him. He, he's got a um, a good a good confidence about himself. He knows what he's doing, obviously, and he, he just breathes his confidence into players. Andrew. Nemhard, nice enough to take some time with us via the Motor Shop and Fisher's Hotline and MotorShop.com. He'll be a part of the 2023 All-Star Jordan Rising Stars games that on February 17th, All-Star Weekend in Salt Lake City. Andrew, I don't know if you know this, but it's the fourth consecutive year that Gonzaga is going to be represented in this game. You're going to join the likes of Jalen Suggs, Brandon Clark, Rui Hachimura, DeMontis Sabonis, Kelly Olenek, and Adam Morrison to participate in this event. Um, Any love from fellow Zags teammates or from Coach Few uh, on the announcement? Have you talked to any any former Zags? Yeah, definitely got some love from former Zags and Coach Few hit me up last night. Um, Just congratulating me. Those guys are super happy for me and and love to see me see what I'm doing and just want me to keep 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 going keep getting better Andrew got to ask about your experience being back in, in in Indianapolis calling it your home now because of course back in the 2021 NCAA tournament Jimmy and I were sitting here in the studio pretty much all day every day watching those ball games and you pretty much called Indianapolis home for a month straight I, and you know it's kind of cool that you got to play in the Sweet 16 at Hinkle Fieldhouse Butler's my alma mater but my, my question is what What's the experience like having all that time in Indy? And you probably didn't even get to get to know or enjoy the city at that point, but now getting drafted, calling this home and being able to explore a place that you were in for about a month a couple of years ago. Yeah, it's um, it's kind of a weird situation because we're we're in Indy, but we're I really just stayed in that one hotel the whole right. the whole month. So honestly, what even counted as being in Indy for the month? It just I was in that hotel, but um kind of a crazy experience to just be back here um not really knowing where i would go on draft night and honestly it's been it's been the best thing for me i, I love indy i love love the love the organization the people here um and, and they've they made my my job easy andrew what were the memories of that tournament specifically getting to play in the environments like a lucas oil stadium as a college guy and then more so what was your angle of the uh, jalen suggs half court shot what comes to mind yeah, that was a super exciting tournament. Um, t- there's nothing like the NCAA tournament, knockout rounds, um, big big fan bases, um, and and that shot especially was just a crazy moment. A tight game with UCLA. I'm not sure. I think he went to overtime and yeah. he uh, the bank off the half court shot. Man, that's a that's a that's a that's a that's a memorable shot that will go down for a little while. Andrew, obviously we want to get back to Pacers, but since Brendan took us down this line, I have a question too because that tournament fascinated us, especially because it was contested during the pandemic and especially because you know you guys were having a deal, like you said, in isolation throughout those games. Uh, what, what, was the, what was the most unique or the, the most weirdest story that you have from just that whole process of having to you know, keep your mindset focused on the games at hand? I'm sure Coach Few 
obviously led you guys where you needed to go. But what was that process like off the court during that tournament? Yeah, I think the like the maybe like I don't know if it was weird, just like the odd thing we were doing. Like we really never left the hotel and like <laughs> later in the tournament there were less teams that kinda of let us go over across the street into the baseball diamond. It felt like we were just getting like our recess time or something. <laughs> so that was a that was a different experience for sure. Man, that's unbelievable. Uh, and before we do get back to the Pacers, Andrew, your brother, Ryan, doing great things at Creighton right now. And as mentioned, Creighton was the team that you guys beat in the Sweet 16 at Hinkle. And I was at the Butler-Creighton game not too long ago. Seems like Ryan's doing really well. How happy are you for him and uh, what he's got coming for him in his college basketball career? Oh, I'm super happy for my brother, obviously. I'm, uh, I feel like I'm one of his number one supporters. I, I, I get more nerves for his games than I get for myself. So. <laughs> Love to see what they're doing. They got a good young squad, good young squad over there. Um, Coach McDermott knows what he's doing, and um, I think they're only going to keep getting better and better this year. I think they they had a little rough stretch early on, but I think I think they're still a top twenty five team when, when when the season comes to an end. Andrew, who's the first person that you talked to, or who's the first person that reached out and called you, not with the Pacers, when you found out you were going to be headed to Salt Lake? Oh, it was my parents. It was my parents. They called me and they're just congratulating, happy for me. Um, we're just talking about like who would have thought um, this would have happened, you know, a year ago. Um, and we're just we're just we're just happy, just soaking in the moment. In that same vein, I, I, have you talked to anybody about? what I mean, you've probably watched All Star Weekends like Brennan and I have as well over the years. But have you talked to anybody about what to expect? I mean, I know you're focused on there's still games to be played with the Pacers before All Star Weekend, but have you gotten a pulse from anybody about what it's going to be like? I haven't talked to anybody specifically who was in the game. I, I, I probably will in the next day or so. But um, I've heard from from just like front office people, everybody. This is just a super exciting experience, kind of like a celebration to um, an extent. Um, so I'm just gonna enjoy, it, you know, enjoy that week off and just um, celebrate kind of what, what 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 we've been doing this season. Andrew Nemhard, Pacers guard, our guest on the hotline, brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers. And themowershop.com. Andrew, you've played a lot of basketball, youth, high school, college, now into your pro season. But has it sunk in for you yet when you're getting on the floor and, for example, on Thursday you're going to play LeBron James again or you've matched up with Steph Curry? Does playing the likes of those names, has that sunk in for you yet or is that something you hit the floor and it's not even something you think about? Yeah, I think honestly at this point in the season it's kind of getting to the point where it's sunk in and I'm feeling comfortable and, and it's almost like another night out hooping. Um just I'm just trying to come out and compete no matter who's on the court and just bring what I got to the table. Um so I definitely felt that early in the season though, seeing guys like I've been watching for the past ten, fifteen years, um and and admire their game and, and seeing them for the first time on the court was definitely a surreal moment. But at this point we're just hooping. Andrew, we talked a little bit earlier about the chemistry of the locker room and just the brotherhood you guys have formed, but in particular, a lot of praise has been given to Kevin Pritchard with this rookie class and how impressive you guys have been. Uh, how much more special or are you looking forward to having your running mate, rookie running mate, and Benedict Matherin out there with you in Salt Lake City? Uh, I'm super excited. Super excited. Me and Benedict got real close over this year, and uh, just just having him as a fellow Canadian, too, just, just seeing like kind of how we can keep pushing that game um, forward in Canada is cool. Um, And we're just going to have fun with it, you know, and enjoy that weekend. Yeah, Andrew, I did want to ask you about your heritage, uh, being from Aurora, Ontario. I have some family in London, actually. So uh, how did basketball become the sport that you ultimately chose? I know you moved down to Florida, but um, how big 
of a factor was basketball in your youth, and did you play anything else growing up in Ontario? Yeah, basketball was huge for me. Um, just like my pops has always been a coach even before I was born. Like he was just coaching kind of like local leagues and stuff like that. So he, he put me into the game. Most of my family is honestly hockey fans and um, hockey Love players. <laughs> so um, I, I grew up watching hockey and, and playing soccer. Um, we don't really have too much football going on over there, but I was playing a bunch of sports. And kind of when I got closer to high school, I decided I wanted to take basketball a little more serious and, and just focus on that. Um, that's what I started doing. I only had two more questions on my end. Andrew, Andrew Demhart, nice enough to take some time with us via the Motor Shop and Fishers hotline and the motorshop.com. Obviously, we've yet to officially seen when Tyrese is going to get back, but Coach Carlisle mentioned uh, during media availability uh, earlier today that uh, he's hopeful he's going to be available on Thursday. Whenever he gets back, how nice will that be to have Tyrese back in the lineup and back in the fold with you guys? Oh, it'd be super nice. I mean, everybody's seen what he's been doing this year and, and how much he means to our team as just a vocal leader and a leader on the court when he's there. And um, I think I think our, our team was fl- flowing really well when he was in the game, guys in their roles. And I think um, hopefully we can we can bring that back and kind of kind of get some momentum going. And the last thing on my front, uh, three point shootout slam dunk contest, which is your favorite of all the? I know it's on Saturday night, but of all the. Saturday night All Star festivities and the the main events they have out there. I'll probably say depends on the year, but most most of the times the dunk contest for me that I like. You know, gotta have some good dudes in there though. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, I, I always appreciate that perspective in general because everybody talks about with the league switching to three point shooting. Should that be the main event or should it not? But yeah, I, I still like the dunk contest just as well. Right there with you. BK, yeah. you, you got anything uh, on that front? I mean, but obviously, if you get like a JJ, Steph, uh, yeah. like those guys, old school three-point contests, uh, those those got pretty fire. I agree. I agree. If you have a top, 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 top five, ten guys in the three-point contest, it's going to be exciting. Steph, if Steph's in it, it's definitely going to be exciting. Andrew, it's been it's been a lot of fun to watch to this point. Congratulations again on headed out to All Star Weekend. Well deserved for you, and looking forward to how things unfold the rest of the way. Thank you. Appreciate you guys having me on. Thanks, Andrew. That's Andrew Nemhard, guard for the Pacers, headed to the All Star Jordan Rising Stars game on Feb- Friday, February seventeenth. That's in Salt Lake City.